You're listening to the Selling Energy Podcast, turbocharging the success of sales professionals around the world. Here's your host, Wall Street Journal bestselling author and award-winning sales trainer, Mark Jewell. Making it real. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. Illustrating the stark contrast between what is and what could be is vital to your success in selling efficiency solutions. Moreover, taking the time to use illustration techniques that are creatively tuned to each prospect will definitely help you close more sales. One of our efficiency sales professional bootcamp graduates, we'll call him John, recently showed me an energy upgrade proposal that he had done for the owner of a barbecue franchise in his hometown. This restaurateur didn't have the background in energy efficiency. He just knew how to run a successful eatery. Realizing this, John decided to present a proposal that was almost entirely graphics, presented in the restaurant's trade dress colors, and arranged on a single page. He even laminated it to mimic a restaurant menu. Projected savings were first converted to the cumulative profit the restaurant would enjoy from serving X number of incremental lunches per month. Those virtual lunch equivalents were then displayed as tiny line drawings of styrofoam takeout boxes. During his meeting with the owner, John simply pointed to that small army of boxes and said, so which would you rather do, approve the upgrade we've been talking about or find a way to start serving X number of additional lunches each month? This is exactly the kind of lateral thinking that successful sales professionals employ every day of the week to capture the attention of their prospects. If you have a prospect who would be overwhelmed by a proposal filled with technical and financial metrics, try using compelling visuals instead. The winning presentation. How do you prepare a presentation that will win over your audience? Well, the first step is to contemplate the ways in which your audience might resist. I believe that repetition is the mother of learning. So if you anticipate the objections and you inoculate your presentation with the answers to those objections, you'll have a much more seamless approach to persuading somebody to do what you want them to do. Addressing these objections also demonstrates to your audience that you've carefully thought through everything, which will reduce their anxiety. Ultimately, you need to determine the reward that would most resonate with each specific player in the decision-making process of an efficiency deal. If it's a sustainability director, it's the pride of removing thousands of tons of CO2 emissions from the environment. If it's a chief financial officer, it might be providing greater certainty about budgeting and a hedge against utility price spikes. If it's the engineering department, it might be the reward of a phone that doesn't ring as frequently for hot cold calls. At the same time, you might have some purpose-driven CEOs, like the chap who runs Whole Foods, willing to entertain a conversation about how putting refrigeration door seals and LED lights in and doing all sorts of other wonderful things for supermarkets will have a positive impact on the environment. The person who runs Patagonia, similar conversation. Just realize that there are some people who do things just for themselves, some who do things for their organization selflessly, and others who ultimately do selfless things for mankind. It's your job to figure out what you're up against and to prepare a presentation that will preemptively address your audience's objections and cater to their desires. Is my printer leaking ink? Ask anyone who sells efficiency solutions. We live in a world where one of the first questions a prospect asks when he or she first hears about energy-saving technology is, what's the payback? Now I ask you, If you're buying a piece of equipment that you're expecting to last X years, how much sense does it make to focus only on how the purchase price of that equipment compares to the savings you'll get in the first year? I mean, think about it. What if one manufacturer's machine will last for five years, while another manufacturer's machine will last for 10? What if one alternative is built less expensively with the expectation that it will require higher maintenance over time? 
I like to use the example of a laser printer versus an inkjet printer because even the most unsophisticated prospects get it. The laser printer will likely have a higher first cost. However, its cost per page of printing will likely be less. I have a friend who recently started a business and bought an inkjet printer, conscious of conserving his startup capital. The business quickly grew, though, and he began churning through ink cartridges so fast that he said he was tempted to look under the machine and check for leaks. On a similar note, if you buy an inexpensive laser printer even, your savings in first cost will likely be offset with paper jams, higher maintenance costs, and probably a shorter lifetime as well. So returning to our context of selling higher first cost, premium efficiency equipment, the lesson we need to take away from all this is that simple payment period is hardly the ticket to a wise decision. Unlock it. Sales professionals often ask me what format is best to use when sending a proposal digitally. And while it may seem like a good idea to send a locked document as a way of protecting intellectual property, I think it's almost always better to send proposals as an unlocked PDF. Why PDF? Because you can't guarantee that your recipient's machine has all the fonts you used. The PDF will portray your document the way it appeared on your own computer screen, rather than having one of your fancy fonts replaced by a generic font like Courier, which would make your document look more like a ransom letter from the 70s than a proposal. Moreover, have you ever made the mistake of sending a Word document to your prospect only to discover that someone in your office forgot to accept all changes after using the proposal you sent to your prospect's competitor as the template for this proposal? Yikes. And why unlocked? Ideally, the person to whom you send the proposal will circulate it broadly to other decision makers in the chain. You took the time to create perfectly worded prose, making it easy for your prospect to copy and paste that prose directly into a management memo or capital budgeting request, reduces the amount of work you're expecting your prospect to do, while increasing the probability that the proposal will be approved. Besides, let your prospect take the credit for having written it. They might earn a pat on the head or even a performance bonus at the end of the year. In most cases, the person to whom you send your proposal is not really getting approval for you. They're getting approval to do the project. Ultimately, it doesn't matter whether your persuasive language is attributed to you or to the person passing your message along internally as long as it does the trick, right? Once your internal champion gets approval, he'll come back to you and say, great, we got the project approved. Referral follow-up. When someone gives you a referral, it's important that you follow up immediately, not only to thank them, but also to find out why they gave you a referral. You might think that it sounds self-deprecating or overly modest to ask why. Actually, it's not. You want to know which aspects of your sales delivery mechanism impress that person enough to refer you. Now, your client may say, oh, you were Johnny on the spot. You handled my request quickly, and I actually have a friend who could really benefit from your service right now. You've got to call him today. Or they may say, what I really liked about your approach was that you were really patient with me. Even though it took us six months to decide, you were there with us every step of the way. Or you were the only company that had both this and that. So now you know, going into it, how you've been praised by the individual who referred you. And you can highlight those attributes when you actually get in touch with the person to whom you were referred. It tells you what they most value about your business at that point in time. This is invaluable information to have in hand before calling the referral. So don't be afraid to ask right after you say thank you, of course. When does your sale end? Many people think that the sale ends when they collect their commission. 
Sales professionals are smart enough to know that extending the sales process to include a post-installation follow-up call yields tremendous benefits. Consider the following scenario. Hi, Max. It's Mark with XYZ Lighting. I'm just giving you a courtesy call to follow up on the lighting upgrade we did at your facility in July. How do you like the new look? Hey, thanks for calling. Yep, the new lighting equipment is working now really well. No complaints at all. Great to hear. Hey, while we're on this topic, I'd like to ask you a question. I make a point of asking all of my clients a few months after installation. Are there any positive outcomes you've noticed other than the ones we discussed when you decided to do the upgrade? Funny you should ask. I was just chatting with our shop foreman last week. He told me that ever since those new lights were installed, our scrap rate has been down by almost 10%. At first, he thought it was a fluke. But now the system has been operating for almost three months, he's pretty sure the scrap reduction is here to stay. Frankly, I'm not surprised. His techs can finally see what the heck they're cutting and drilling. Remember how dingy it was in the shop when you did your original lighting audit? Wow, a 10% scrap rate reduction. Did your buddy happen to mention how significant an impact that was in dollars and cents? You know, I was wondering the same thing, so I asked him. As crazy as it sounds, it's actually saving the company more money than the utility savings. That's terrific. I bet your CFO will be happy to see the project throwing off twice as much return as he was expecting. Hey, do you mind if I use that little story you just shared when I speak with other small manufacturers with similar retrofit proposals? Nope, go right ahead. Just promise me that you're not going to sell any of those fancy new lights to our competitors. Unless, of course, you promise to charge them three times as much as we paid you. Energy upgrades can generate three kinds of benefits. Utility cost savings, for example, utility bill reductions, rebates, and incentives. Non-utility cost financial benefits, for example, the above-referenced scrap reduction. And non-financial benefits, for example, getting an Energy Star label. Most salespeople focus on the first and third buckets. Efficiency-focused sales professionals realize that the second bucket is often larger than the first. Moreover, they realize that the third bucket's benefits often spill over into the second bucket. For example, Energy Star labeled buildings, evidencing higher rents, lower vacancy, and higher sales price. The more you understand your segment, in this example, the impact of better lighting quality on scrap rates, and the more research you do after the sale to discover non-utility cost financial benefits, the more comfortable you'll be emphasizing benefits beyond utility cost savings as you engage future prospects. <music>